0: America is an amazing country filled with wonderful people who do incredible things. But too often, the media and liberal politicians ignore big parts of our nation and the people who make it work. So I'm speaking with leaders and policymakers who deal with real problems every day. I'm Ronna McDaniel, and this is Real America. In this special year-end episode of Real America, We're gonna take a look back at some of the highlights of our interviews throughout the year. I'll be joined by special guest, Paris Denard, who is a national spokesperson for the RNC. And together, we're gonna look back at some of the surprising, thought-provoking, and touching moments from our first year of our
1: podcast.
0: I'm Rhonda McDaniel, and this is Real America. Welcome to the Real America Podcast. Great to have you here, Paris.
1: Well, I mean, this podcast, Rana, has been such a huge success, and I'm just honored to finally be on.
0: I know. I'm excited to have you. It's too long that, that we've taken to get you on the show.
1: Yes. I mean, when you look at the success of this podcast, I think it was expanded far beyond even your wildest imaginations when you first had this idea to do this podcast, talking to real Americans so that people can get a better sense, a better idea about the different leaders that we have in our party. So like we couldn't put this all in one special. I mean, so let's just do a recap of, yeah, some of the Yeah, let's do a little recap.
0: Hits. Let's do some of our greatest hits. But I yeah. will say the reason I did this is you and I get this, Paris, all the time. We yeah. get to see these leaders in longer settings mm-hmm. talking about policy issues that are so important to the American people that you don't see in like a That's minute right. clip on a soundbite on a TV show, which are great too, but – I think it's so important, and it under it helps you understand the depth and breadth of the leadership we have in our party and how lucky we are yeah. to have these leaders. So I'm looking forward to going through some of our favorite clips.
1: I mean, when you think about personal stories, are, is there anyone that you spoke to that really had a unique perspective or unique personal story that they brought to their leadership?
0: You know, I think of Christine Noem a yeah. lot because uh, she was my first podcast, first of all, governor of South Dakota. Uh, We had a whole bunch of issues that we could talk about, but she's been a true leader through the pandemic and really talked about her personal story of taking over her parents' um, ranch when her father died.
1: Yeah, That's amazing. Let's take a look at that.
0: Okay. At a very young age, you took over your family ranch.
2: Can you mm-hmm. talk about that experience a little bit and sure. what that was like for you and your family? Sure. Well, I was going to college when my dad was killed in an accident. He was only 49 years old at the time. I was already married. Um, we had gotten married when I was 20 and I was just wrapping up college. And in fact, we'd been married for two years and I was just about a month away from having our first baby. Wow. So going to college, pregnant, newly you know married within the last couple of years. Um, when... He got killed on March 10th, which ironically was also the day we got our first cases of COVID in the state of South Dakota too. So I really don't enjoy March 10th. No, that it's is not a bad day. day. Yeah, it's a bad day. But the, um, you know, my sister was living in Georgia at the time. My older brother was in Oklahoma, and my younger brother was still in high school. So I ended up quitting college, coming back, uh, becoming the general, general manager within a matter of time. My older sister and brother did move home. And so for 20, 25 years, all four of us kids farmed in partnership with our mom uh, to run the businesses. But we had a cow-calf operation. We also backgrounded our calves and feedlot and had other businesses and ran the farm. And then I managed all of it. My husband bought an insurance agency, so he runs that. But it was—our it was, whole life was just businesses. But what was—really got me involved in government and politics was— when dad passed away we got hit with estate taxes with death taxes so i could not figure out how uh, a family could have a tragedy and that there would be a federal law that would then threaten to take away their family business it was the only place in our tax code that we double tax somebody and i just decided that i needed to start showing up it took me 10 years to pay off those taxes
1: so That was a really personal story and personal reason as to why, you know, she got involved in politics. What were your thoughts about that when you listened to her?
0: I think you're going to find this with a lot of our interviews. A lot of Republicans came from a different background. They weren't politicians forever and ever. So she was a rancher. Her dad died. She dealt with the death tax. She understands what businesses and farmers are dealing with in her state. It helped her be a better leader through the pandemic. And we see that across the spectrum with Republican leaders from governor to Senate to House.
1: You know, you talked about jobs. And one of the people that I really enjoyed listening to was Mike Pompeo. And he spoke to you about one of his favorite jobs.
0: Yeah, it was kind of surprising because, you know, we talk about him being in the CIA and being Secretary of State. But when I asked him, what was your favorite job, he had a great response.
3: The best job I ever had was as a young second lieutenant really? driving four tanks around the, what was the then east-west German border. We were doing border patrol in the late 80s, and there's nothing like being a 22-year-old with a tank. Really? Uh, this is a, uh, that should a, be a bumper sticker. Yes, it should. A
0: 22-year-old <laughs> with a tank.
3: Yes, we met it there. I know some 22-year-olds that we not, might not want to give them to. But for, for a time, I got the chance to be on Freedom's Frontier as a very young officer in the United States Army, and it was, it was just, I learned so much. About America and about freedom, I, we were literally peering into East Ger- into East Germany, and we could see that right the, the the fences were all holding their people in, not keeping West Germans from going to East Germany, but keeping East Germans in. I uh, run this as a, a great story. I, I left about nine days before the Ber- the Berlin Wall fell, and then the fence line along East Germany uh, came down. And I called back before the days of cell phones. I called back to a lieutenant friend of mine and said this is amazing. Tell me what's happening. He said, Mike, we're running traffic control points. There's these cars crossing the border and Mike, they're all going one way. They're going towards freedom Yeah, because they didn't know how long it would last before that fence might go back up. And they wanted them and their children and their grandchildren to live in freedom. I've I've, I've thought about that for these last now, uh, goodness, how many years, uh, 30 on years from this.
1: Mike Pompeo is just a cool guy. He is a super cool guy. I mean, he's just really cool. Someone else who I think is pretty cool is Ted Cruz. And... I was sort of surprised that he took the conversation to talk about Star Wars. And I think right now there's going to be a lot of gifts under the tree, Star Wars themes. But what were your thoughts about Ted Cruz and Star Wars?
0: Uh, Ted Cruz is one of my favorites, but he went like so much higher because I love (laughs) Star Wars too. We're total geeks. And Ted Cruz figured out a way to bring Star Wars into it as he made an analogy about Democrats and how they're governing at
4: the border. Let's watch that clip. We have a simple message with young people, which is just freedom. On free speech, say what you want to say. On on religious liberty, believe what you want to believe. It's your faith, your conscience. And and, and you know, an analogy I used. So, so I asked asked the folks there. I said, "All right, are any of you Star Wars fans?" Um, and, and okay,
0: I'm a big Star Wars okay. fan, so I love this and already. The room
4: erupted. By the way, my team makes fun of me. They said, "Ted, you're too much of a geek." Because like I'm a, I'm big a total Star Wars geek.
0: Fan. Okay, we could do a whole podcast I, on Star Wars. Okay, I, I, go
4: ahead. I. I, I When I was 11 years old, I stood in line with my dad for two hours waiting to see Empire Strikes Back on opening day.
0: Oh, I love it. My mom Uh, took me out of school to see Return of the Jedi. That's how cool my mom was. It was a holiday in our house. We're we're getting out of school.
4: So quick trivia, and then I'll make a point. All right. Do you know in in Empire, when when Han is getting ready to be frozen in carbonite, so the line, Princess Leia runs up to him and says, I love you. And he says, I know. The script says, I love you too. Okay. Harrison Ford ad-libbed that. I love it. It's like the best line. It's such a good ad-lib, although I will say a terrible admission— I was what, ten, eleven years old for like a year. When my mother told me "I love you," I would say, <laughs> "I know." And what a little twit! I I, 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 I I'd apologize love that. to my mom. I'm like, "All right, I'm sorry." I know I was, it is you know. kind
0: of like the ultimate guy line yeah. for a girl to say "I love you." Yeah. And her, I mean, how okay. cool is that? But you need good. to say "I love you" right. back for all the guys it, yes, out there yes, listening. Yes, yes, yeah. This it is good is a advice. Han did not create a good move. You yeah. need to say yeah. "I love you"
4: back. So uh, you
0: said Star Wars. So, so what group. I said is,
4: I said, "Listen, today's Democratic Party." They are the emperor. Yeah, They are the empire. They are Vader. They're Palpatine. I pointed out Joe Biden is older than Palpatine. <laughs> they want to control you. And we are the rebel alliance. We are a scrappy bunch of rebels fighting for freedom. That is powerful with young people.
1: You know, that's a side of Senator Ted Cruz that people would not see unless— they were watching Real America with Rhonda McDaniel, So that's the uniqueness about this podcast and why I think it's really, really great that the American people have it to listen and to learn more about these leaders.
0: Yeah, I don't think the mainstream media was ever going to do a report on Ted Cruz and his love of Star Wars. But he's relatable and he's able to talk to the listeners and voters about things that really matter. And he's fun, too.
1: He's funny, you know, and he was able to talk about Star Wars and sort of like the disconnect with Democrats and their wild, out-of-this-world policies like defunding the police and and how Democrats have walked away from things like police reform. Another guest, one of my personal favorites, personal hero of mine, Senator Tim Scott out of South Carolina, he talked in in such a passionate way about his stance on um, police reform and and his whole personal story and, and how his family's been so involved in his life. What were your thoughts on just listening to Senator Tim Scott?
0: I think it's so important to know where people come from because it helps you understand who they are. And Tim Scott was one of my favorite guests. I don't know how you can pull a clip from the whole interview. It was really that impactful to me. But I think the thing that touched me the most from his interview, one, the fact that he pushed um, police reform and the Democrats pushed it back. They wouldn't work with him because he's a Republican, something he, he knew a lot about. But, but most importantly, his personal story and t- his grandfather and what he grew up with and how he came to where he is through the struggles he had very young in his life and the mentor that really exactly. helped him as well. So I'm looking forward to hearing this clip.
1: Yeah, let's watch it.
0: We have something in common. Oh, yeah? Yeah, because— your grandfather was a, a really big influence in your life. Mine was as well. Awesome. Just, can you talk about him a little bit? You talk about how he always brought the newspaper to yes. the family table.
5: So when my parents divorced when I was seven years old, we moved into my grandparents' house. They had a two-bedroom house with uh, my grandmother and my grandfather had one room. My brother, myself, and my uh, mother shared another room. And uh, it was tight quarters, but there was lots of love in the in the house. And my grandmother would you know traditionally cook breakfast with my grandfather. We'd go to the kitchen table, and he would sit there and consume a newspaper, uh, thoroughly uh, in investigating and digesting every single page there was in that newspaper. And for me and my brother, it was like we, we knew that current events, and it was really important because we always saw grandfather being, uh, digesting the news and making it relevant. And it was probably 15 to 20 years later when I found that he could not read at all. <laughs> But what he was doing for us was setting the example that readers are leaders, that you needed to be aware of what was going on. And he always encouraged us in nonverbal ways to take serious this privilege of learning.
0: You also talk about, you know, you were raised by a single mom. Yes, yes and mentors in people's lives. And so you have one that stands out from Chick-fil-A, which yes. we all love Chick-fil-A. Right. oh yeah. you don't, um, you, need,
5: you need to have your head examined. But it is yeah.
0: so valuable to have Absolutely. a mentor. And I think that's such an important thing that we can learn from people who did it for us, but also that we can be in our own lives. Can you talk about that mentor in your life? Yeah,
5: so John Moniz, the Chick-fil-A operator who became my mentor when I was 15 years old. My freshman year, I had struggled through high school uh, I had failed civics, the study of politics, which I think is. Uh, you did? I you did, failed? I did. Yes. Oh my goodness! Uh, yes, I, I failed four subjects my freshman year. As a kid growing up in poverty, I, I lost hope in any real future. I was angry, frustrated about my plight, my circumstance, and what looked like a pretty dark future. And, and my grades reflected that. In my freshman year, I failed world geography and civics. Okay. Uh, eight years in the Senate. <laughs> I'm probably not the only one failing civics in this town. I can tell you that without I guarantee a question. you're not. Yes. You're actually
0: passing. Exactly. Many finally, others are failing. Finally, yeah. yes,
5: indeed. And I also failed Spanish and English. Really? My joke is if you fail Spanish and English, no one considers you bilingual. <laughs> no one. They all call you biignant because you can't speak in any language. Uh, and so my next year, I, my mo- my mother encouraged me to go to summer school using some very interesting forms of encouragement. But I went to summer school, caught up with my class in my sophomore year, after my sophomore year, having passed everything with at least a B, I think it was, uh, I meet this guy named John Moniz, who was a Chick-fil-A operator, who starts teaching me some of the most powerful lessons uh, a business person can teach someone. He, he literally planted the seed of entrepreneurship in my heart. Uh, he taught me that having a job is a good thing, but creating jobs is a better thing. That if you have an income, it can determine your lifestyle, but if you make a profit, it determines your wealth and your impact in your community. And so you always wanted to be a, a, a wealth creator, a yeah. job creator. But John, just, uh, he just saw something in me that I could not see in myself. And through his leadership and mentorship for the next four years, the way I saw myself and the way I saw opportunity was transformed a 180-degree turn. And that, for me, is one of the greatest blessings in life, is having someone come along at the right time and, and in the right way teach you to take responsibility for yourself. Don't blame your circumstances or the the fact that your father's not around or that your mother's working long hours. Really take responsibility for yourself. And by doing so, if you see the opportunities, it's typically in the middle of the obstacles that are in your way. Hmm. When you see your problems, you are actually going to uncover the promise of a better future by figuring out how to deal with those problems that are there.
1: Listening to Senator Tim Scott reminded me of Tony Gonzalez and his yeah. story, and it's just amazing how all of these personal stories. People always think that we're divided and so different. We're not. We're there's a lot of commonality. And he talked about his grandfather. Can you just share, like, what was your impression about Tony Gonzalez being new and not a lot of people know about his personal story or know what his background was leading to this position? Yeah, Tony
0: Gonzalez is one of our rock star freshman members. He represents the border. He really struggled as a, a young man too. He had a yeah. lot of hardships that he had to overcome before he came to Congress. And his story is so inspiring. It's one of, uh, again, one of my other favorite stories that I heard. It's hard to pick them all, right. but this is one of my favorites from Tony Gonzalez. Well, we
1: can't watch the whole thing, but let's just watch a
6: clip. Okay. Okay. I'm half created away from graduating and my grandfather, who is the most influential person of me, passes away. Oh no! So down this spiral I go, I drop out of high school and um, I always knew I was going to serve uh, in the military. I didn't realize it was going to be the Navy. I go to the Army recruiter, and they wanted me to get a GD. And I was like, look, if I wanted to do that, I had not done that two, two years ago. I've been fighting for this diploma. So I kind of go home defeated, and uh, my cousin was in the Navy. My cousin tells me, hey, go to the Navy recruiter. I'm like, I don't know how to swim. I don't like the water. <laughs> I don't like sailors. Like, I grew up in an Army kind of yeah. family. Why would I do that? Uh, he goes, just go. So I go to the I go to the Navy recruiter. Navy recruiter goes, boy, do we got a deal for you? And I get my high school diploma while I was in service.
0: And you were a cryptologist, cryptologist. in the Navy. What is a crypto- cryptologist?
6: So a cryptologist, my job was to basically intercept bad guy communications. So, any way a person communicates, whether it's your cell phone, uh, text message, email, a pigeon, manual Morris, whatever. Truly a pigeon. That, yeah, whatever it is. Whatever means a communication, my job was to intercept that, analyze it, and then for us to have actionable intelligence on it. So, oh, my goodness. It was amazing, yeah. And you
0: were deployed?
6: I was, yeah. To Afghanistan? I was, yeah. Tell me about that. Yeah, I spent five years in Afghanistan uh, from 2001, 2006. And when I was first deployed to Afghanistan, I was 20 years old. I remember landing in Kandahar Airfield. There's all these poppy fields everywhere because, you know, Kandahar or uh, Afghanistan is uh, the world's leader in opium. Opium, yeah. Right? But here I am, this 20-year-old kid, never seen the world. And I show up in Af- in, in Kandahar Airfield. It's like I landed on the moon. i was I'm like sure. a completely was, different environment.
0: Did you even know where it was at the time? I mean, none of us did.
6: No. No, none of us did. I mean, right when September 11th happened, everyone's going, where's Afghanistan?
0: So. What was that like? Those five years in Afghanistan. Tell me about the people you met and, and yeah. the work you did, and and your and your um, veteran brothers and sisters that you that you worked with.
6: Yes, there is a there is a bond that you get with folks that can just never be replaced, and because it's not a great situation, it's a really crappy situation. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's hot. You're working long hours. It's just real tedious, uh, but you just get this bond. You're all in on it together. And and I remember, uh, you know, we. I remember us, you know, capturing and killing bad people that were hurting Americans and being able to go, you know what, we're doing our part and there's mm-hmm. something very special about that that is just it's just amazing. So,
0: but I read that you worked that district. It is a district that is used to seeing their representative sure. and you got in your pickup truck yeah. and you went everywhere. That's Tell it. me what it was like to campaign yes across your district and then to actually win in a yeah. very tight victory. Uh, and, and turn that seat red.
6: Everybody thought, you know, the, the political pundits were like, you know, the seat can't be won for all the reasons why. Yeah. And they weren't, we weren't wrong as far as all the obstacles that we had to get, a, get ahead of, the money, the name recognition. Yeah. You know, I'd never run for public office yeah. before. You know, um, it's just I had a lot of growing to do, and I had to do it in a really quick manner. But one of the things that, that folks have told me my whole life, Tony, you can't do this, you can't do that. And I've always said, watch me. Right, And we just roll up our sleeves and we just go to work. No one will outwork me. And that's what we did. I mean, you, you mentioned it. I got my pickup truck. We put 70,000 miles on this pickup truck. Just went everywhere. Big crowds, small crowds. And I, and I didn't just talk to Republicans. Like I was talking to everybody, people that voted, people that didn't vote, Democrats, Independents, everybody. Um, And and I think that's what we sometimes forget is like, you know, we we get it all figured out, like the political lens and what we're supposed to do. But I think people are just looking for somebody that they can go, you know what, that guy has
1: my back. I think people are going to be really touched by listening to Tony Gonzalez's story. But I think they are going to be excited and energized when they listen to Cat Camac. I mean— She describes herself as a pistol. And I, I mean, she's a pistol. She's energetic. She's young. She is vibrant. She's the future of this party.
0: Yeah, she is a real American. You know, she was homeless in college. She's come in to Congress. She is just gung-ho. Yes. She is somebody who brings a ton of energy. She's a great freshman member.
7: And I look forward to hearing uh, what she has to say in this next clip.
1: Yeah, let's watch that clip again.
7: My natural instinct is, I'm going to push back. I'm going to attack And so when the bill came up, the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, which was the original defund police bill Mm -hmm. that came up, um, I ended up taking my husband's SWAT vest to D.C., which, by the way, if you have ever tried to get a ballistic vest through (laughs) TSA— No, I have
0: never tried that. I don't, I don't recommend think I'm putting it. that on my bucket
7: list. I don't That's recommend going it. That's not on my bucket I, I list. I don't recommend it. But you I, took it with you. I did. I took it with me and um, flew it up there. And Jim Jordan was running a special order and, and a debate on this bill. And I told him, I said, I need three minutes. And he's like, You got one minute. And I said, Oh my gosh! So I, I haul my my tail down to the house floor, and I've got his vest in my hand. And it's a good. It's a heavy vest. It's yeah. you know like forty pounds of gear and and ballistic plates and, um, and so I get down there, and I'm getting ready. And Jim looks over and he sees the vest and he's like, "You got two minutes," because <laughs> he was interested. He, <laughs> he was intrigued. To, yeah, I, <laughs> he was intrigued at that moment. And so I um I get up to the mic and Sheila Jackson Lee had just finished talking about this and and talking about why they needed to defund police, and so. I, I didn't know quite how this was gonna play, because it's not something you can rehearse. Mm-mm. And I just knew that I needed a moment to kind of snap everyone's heads and pay attention because it was it was gonna be totally off script. It was gonna go straight from the heart. And I pulled my husband's vest up as high as high as I could. And keep in mind I'm five foot three. I've got little I, tiny two reps on. I'm
0: about the same <laughs> size as you. I'm five three. Yep. Yeah.
7: And so I lifted as high as I can and I just dropped it. And I was, it did exactly what I was hoping. It, it Through the microphones, it was this resounding boom. Oh, good. Because it would have been really bad if yeah, it was silent. It, yeah, if it yeah. was like this mush. But it landed with a thud. And it was boom. And I just railed. And I said, this bill takes this equipment, this vest off my husband's back. It's the wow. same vest that he wore on a 17-hour manhunt. This is the same vest that he wears when he is going to subjects who have barricaded themselves and they're threatening to kill their own children. But the real threat isn't that you guys are trying to tell people that, you know, our, our police can't have vests. It's that you want to get rid of them all. You want to yeah. take mm-hmm. that off their backs. You want to remove them from communities altogether. And, and I, I actually posed the question. I said, are you waking up at 2 a.m. responding to gang shootings? Are you missing your children's birthday parties? because there has been a murder in your community. No. Oh, my gosh.
1: Ronna, something that people don't really know about my career in politics is I've always worked for conservative women.
7: Yes, you have. And
1: I I love that. And this party is so diverse, and we have strong, powerful, smart, talented Republican women. I mean, you are a shining example of your leadership here as, in my opinion, one of the most successful RNC chairs that we've ever had. But also, there are other people like Kellyanne Conway. I mean— She has an impressive resume before her time working for former President Trump. I mean, that is what I think Real America exposes is these talented people that people don't really get a chance to really understand. But you share their stories. They listen to them directly. And Kellyanne Conway has just been a fantastic leader for our party.
0: She has. And Kellyanne is so brilliant. And she understands polling and reaching out to voters in a way that's she's created a decades-long career doing that. Now, President Trump, she always says this, and I love this, he found her in plain sight. She was there, but he was the only one who said, you know, I'm going to take her and have her run my campaign. She's the first woman ever in history to run a successful presidential campaign. And as we started the 2022 cycle, Kelly and I talked a lot about how do we win back voters that we've lost? What are the things that we want to go into the field and poll about? And she did a really amazing poll about election integrity mm-hmm. and gave us a lot of insight as to these voting laws that the Democrats are labeling as Jim Crow 2.0, right. oh, which are totally false. And the polling results are really, really interesting. And she shares that in this in this clip.
1: Well, we're lucky to have you in your position and we're also lucky to have Kellyanne. So let's watch what she had to say.
0: Okay.
8: Most voters say it was very easy for them to vote. In fact, we did a one to 10 scale and over 93% said it was easy for them to vote. Uh, The intensity was very high in that favor. They do think it may be more difficult for other people to vote because they're not sure. And they hear that echoed in the media and the Democratic Party. And sorry if I repeated myself there again and again. And so, but they want to make sure that voting is easy and it's accessible. But they also want to make sure, Rana, that it's legal and it's transparent and that it's verifiable. Why is the word verifiable important? Well, it's important because is the voter verified? Is the voter ID verified? Is the voter signature verified? This should not be a heavy lift. this should not be controversial, that you want to make sure that the most sacrosanct principle in our United States Constitution, one person, one vote is upheld for everyone. And there is tripartisan agreement, Repub- a majority of Republicans, Democrats, and independents Rana all agree that non-citizens should not vote. People who are not registered to vote or qualified to vote, Should not vote. Again, that seems very non controversial. Just like the 94% who approve the phrase, I want to make sure that every legal vote counts, Mm -hmm. any illegal vote does not count. That by itself. Is, is really democracy in action. So I think you just were being very kind and you gave the PG version of what the Democrats are really saying here. They're screaming racist and occasionally sexist and xenophobic. Instead, it's just racist. We, we tested that too. Seventy-seven percent of Americans surveyed said that they believe that one party, they didn't we didn't say who, that they believe one party sometimes screams racism to try to shut down conversation. And, you know, if I'm just going to call you names, it's because I never really want to learn your name.
0: I think that's so interesting, and I want to go back to that. So 77% of your respondents said that one party is utilizing racism to win, to gain power, but they don't actually believe that the laws are racist. They recognize what the other party is doing, and they're demeaning what racism actually means by saying these laws are racist. Is that what you're finding? Well, I guess, I mean,
8: let's just look at Georgia, for example. Yeah. Okay, you're talking about the new laws in Georgia. We tested pieces of that. They're wildly popular because, again, as you've seen in everybody's polling, including the media polling, large majorities of Americans favor Voter ID. Oh well, now Stacey Abrams does. Did you see, Abrams Did you see Stacey and Abrams? I mentioned Jordan in
0: April was against voter ID. Correct. It was voter suppression. All yes. of a sudden, she says, "I was always for voter ID." Raphael Warnock. So they know. They know that most. Voters they know and they're looking at the ID. same kind of
8: polling. They're data looking at your polling, if asking the right kinds of questions. Just very objective questions, approve or disapprove of this particular measure, they understand that the lexicon does not favor them because people want transparency, verification. But with transparency also comes competency. What people are saying, Rana, is you can't cast your vote so early and count
0: that same vote so late. That whole segment with Kellyanne was so great, but something she said recently that's not in the podcast was Republicans need to start finishing the sentence. We can't just call Democrats socialists And expect voters to understand what that means. And and that's really resonated with me. And one of the things she recommends is find somebody who's fled socialism to talk about that. And it made me think of Carlos Jimenez.
1: Well, yes, exactly. Because your podcast doesn't just talk about personal story. It talks about policy. Mm -hmm. And Carlos Jimenez, new freshman member out of Miami, he has a great personal story. But he connects it to the policy and why it leads and guides his different policy decisions that he makes. And you really touched on that with him.
0: Yeah, he gets to—he has the ability to articulate what socialism means because he fled it. Right. He came to this country at seven years old, and the passion that he feels when he talks about socialism and what Democrats are pushing to change the America we know and love is so critical. And I, I really enjoy talking to him.
1: I think schools need to play this next clip because it's such an important one. I agree.
9: I think the first thing that, that really concerns me is this whole thing of tech censorship. Yes, And then now that the president is saying that they want the, you know, tech companies to censor certain information, where the government is actually being involved in in censorship, is really, really dangerous. Um, And, um, you know, it's under the guise of misinformation, Mm -hmm. right? And so who's the arbiter of misinformation? Who decides what's true and what's not true? And I think that um, it's actually an insult to the American people. The American people are smart enough to figure out what's right and what's wrong, what's real what's not real. Are there always going to be people on, on the other side that believe something that you and I don't believe? Yeah, that's what's called debate, right mm-hmm. uh, And so I believe that that the, the best defense against misinformation or another side is more information. And so and more debate, not less debate, that's really, really something which is very, very dangerous. And we see it you know in Cuba. You can't speak your mind. You can't, you know, you're only going to get one side. The truth, right, is what the government tells you is the truth. Uh, there's no freedom of the press. There's no freedom of speech. You have people looking. There's, there's things in Cuba It's called Committee for the Defense of the Revolution. Okay. Okay? And it's not really a committee. What it is is that in every neighborhood, you'll have one or two people that are actually working with the government to spy on you. Right. And so when you when you say, oh, gee, I don't think Castro is very good. You know, I don't think that uh, Diaz Canales was doing this, that or the other. You could, at the, in the middle of the night, end up with security forces at your door, knocking down your door and then taking you away because you said something wrong against, so or you're a counter-revolutionary. And so you're a threat, you know, to to the Cuban people. Look, in the Cuban, uh, Cuban Constitution, uh, there's a couple of articles there. I, I think you and I would, would say what? Number one. That, you know how we, at least my values, are God, family, country, right? Yep. In kind of that order, right? Exactly. Okay, right? Well, in Cuba, the, the values are the Communist Party first. The second comes country. And then third comes the individual, all right? And so— in in Cuba, in the Constitution, it's the Communist Party that supersedes everything. Supersedes everything, everything. Your family, everything. God, everything. religion. God. God. Everything. They don't believe in God, okay? But it supersedes everything. All right. There's another article in the Co- Cuban Constitution, which is a little even more well, it's it's not as bad. It's pretty bad. Okay. So here it is. It is, it says that that communism is the way. Anybody, anybody who wants to change that is now an enemy of the state. All right, and can be dealt with in any shape or manner deemed fit, including armed force. So that wow. if you want to, there is no changing. See, there's no, there is no process in the Cuban constitution to change away and to get away from communism because it's part of the constitution that if you want to do that, you're a traitor and you have to be dealt with. You know, Rana, one of the things that
1: your podcast does is it shows people that you can come from different backgrounds and still be a leader. Uh, you did an uh, interview with Burgess Owens, a new congressman out of Utah. Uh, he's fantastic. And this podcast episode, it was almost like you were listening to a motivational speaker because he's so inspirational and has such a positive outlook on life.
0: He does. I, I really love Burgess. I think he is one of the kindest, uh, most wonderful people I've met, aside from the fact that he's a congressman and a former NFL player. Right. But at the very end of this clip, he gives his philosophy in life and what he learned from his parents. And it's something that really has stuck with me since that interview.
1: We should all listen to that and and see how we can apply to our own lives. I agree. Let's listen to Burgess.
0: You went to high school, then you went to University of Miami, similar issues. You were drafted in the first draft in the NFL. You played for the Jets, then you went to the Raiders and won the Super Bowl. So I think you have a really great insight as to what's happening in the NFL right now. Yeah. With the national anthem, with Colin Kaepernick kneeling uh, for the flag. Tell me how you see this and this issue that's percolating through our sports worlds right now and a belief, I think, with a lot of people that America is a racist country.
10: Well, let me just say the, the, uh, the most powerful three words in the mission statement of America is we the people. You know, once we start talking, once we start realizing we have more in common than we don't, uh, there's nothing that can defeat us. Uh, What's happening today is the fact that we have an educational system for decades that's been teaching us something else. Uh, We have an educational system, and I call them termites. These are people who uh, do not love our country. They find safe spots, and that's in education, that's in bureaucracy. We don't know who they are. there uh, is it's behind cameras where no one, uh, you know, no one can really impact them. But when we start teaching each other uh, that our country is a racist place, that our country does not identify and show that we've been progressing, that everyone in this country that actually uh, uh, adheres themselves to American tenants can be successful, if you don't teach our kids that, they learn another way. And so what we're seeing today, uh, and Carpenter's a good example, Here's a young man who made his last contract, he made $12 million. Um, you notice that those who believe in this concept of our, how bad our country is, as they re reimagine, they first of all they never imagined anything in the first place. They've never built anything. Uh, they don't serve. They don't give them the time. Um, they're elitists. And that's really the fight that we have as a nation. It's not just white, black elitists, but white elitists. But they both have, have that's who we're really fighting up against. So what we're seeing today in the NFL is a, is a result of years of indoctrination. Uh, Unlike my parents' generation, I was taught very simply, Rhonda, it was real easy. Love God, country, family, respect for women and authority. It's real simple.
0: I like that. Think about it. Love God, country, Country, family, family, respect. respect for women and
1: authority. Congressman Owens is a positive, motivating person. I mean, it just comes across in the podcast episode that you did with him. And he's
0: even more that way in person. Oh, absolutely. Unbelievable.
1: Well, it means that he's genuine and authentic. He is. Another leader who's really authentic and and really motivating and has an incredible perspective on why they became a governor is Kim Reynolds.
0: Yeah, I I love Kim Reynolds. I actually did this interview in Iowa. Nice. So we were there for an event for Ashley Henson. And Kim told her story about getting involved in politics. I loved it so much. I actually went home and shared it with my husband because her husband's a big part of it. And then we talk about the Iowa State Fair, which, by the way, Paris, I'm going to next year. You're welcome to come with me because she goes through all the great things that we can see at the Iowa State
1: Fair. And all the good things you can eat, too. I
11: I know. We're going to talk about that, too. (laughs)
1: Let's listen to that one
11: what is the best thing to eat at the Iowa oh, State Fair? Oh, golly. Here? I'm telling you, I eat my way through 11 days, but I walk a lot, so it's a balance. Yeah, but, you're getting your steps uh-huh, in. Uh-huh. So we always recommend the pork chop on a stick is to die for. Okay. You'll get to flip some pork chops with me. That's always fun. People will love seeing you there I would doing love that. that. Uh, we have a beef sundae that's extremely good. What is that? Oh, it's it's like mashed potatoes and and beef and kind of a gravy poured over the top, and it it actually it's, sounds really good. It's really good. It's a comfort food. Okay. Um, but there's everything. Anything on the in sweet between. side? Anything on uh, the- I did the strawberry uh, shortcake. It was a new food okay. this year. We had eighty five new foods, so there's always new things to try. I went back and got that again. So, you know how uh, many people come and for over that a seat. million. Really, and, and the good thing was, too, so again, we've just really been, we can do this safely and responsibly. And this was contrary to some of the other fairs that were down like 30%. Uh, we were only down about 6% from 2019. We didn't have it in 20, but the two things that I heard the most at the Iowa State Fair, um, again, I was there all 11 days, was um, thank you for having a state fair and getting life back to normal. Thank you for getting our kids in school, not mandating a mask mandate, and stay strong. I had more women more women and moms come up to me and literally, a lot of times, in tears and just say, our kids need to be there. Just stay strong. Don't back down.
1: So, Rana, from the Iowa State Fair, it, it reminded me of this Buffalo Roundup story that you talked about with Christy Nome. I mean, we have some dynamic Republican women.
0: We do, and I really wanted to talk to Christy about the Buffalo Roundup because I saw it on TV one day, and she's on a horse with, like, hundreds and hundreds of buffalo around her, and she is just getting them where she needs them to go. And it's pretty amazing. So I wanted to talk to her about that. But her description is even better than anything I can do.
1: Let's round up that clip.
0: Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Good one. I think I turned on the TV one morning and you were on horseback. Yeah. Rounding up, I don't know how many, like thousands of buffalo. And you have this thing called... Was it the Buffalo Roundup we in South do. Dakota? Can you talk about that event and, and, and how you are so good well. on horseback and rounding them up? And you just know your stuff.
2: Well, You're like a cowgirl. Well, yes. Uh, but, you know, that's how we grew up. But this, I mean, that's what's remarkable about getting to be governor of South Dakota is that I have my own actual Buffalo Roundup. It's fantastic, right? That's so cool. So Custer State Park is our largest state park, and it has one of the original bison herds in the nation. So it's one of the herds that helped bring them back from extinction, you know, years and years ago. And so what that herd does is we maintain it, um, take care of it, and then every year have a roundup and an auction where we sell some of them to help pay the costs of maintaining the bison herd. So the Governor's Roundup happens in September of every year, and uh, twenty to 30,000 people come to watch. It is fast. It is extremely dangerous. We have about 60 people on horseback, and we also have about another 30 to 40 Jeeps and all-terrain vehicles, and then many, many vehicles, uh, chase vehicles as well. But it is a flat-out run, and you have to take them that fast because when they hit the corral, Um, If you don't have the last one in and shut the gate, by the time the first one hits the other end of the corral, they're coming around and coming right back out. So they're incredibly powerful animals. Um, They are not tame at all. So I'd recommend nobody ever try to get close to one of them. But for me, it was great because all these people that love horses and the Western way of life, I get to invite and be a part of it with me. So this last year was so much fun because I invited a bunch of professional cowboys to come and some professional bull riders, and these are the real deal cowboys that make their living on horseback chasing cows and riding bulls. And they had never done anything like this before. They were hooping and hollering and laughing and jumping cricks, and we were racing, you know, off bluffs, and and they just said, we've never done anything like this, Governor. We and they were slapping me on the back and just said it was the most fun they'd ever had. So that's, that's what Is fun for me is creating memories for other people. So many times in this job, I only get to talk about negative things. I only get to focus on challenges and bad things. That day is always a day that everybody comes and they love our outdoor Western way of life. And then I get to give people the new experience of being a part of it.
0: That is that is it is the most amazing thing. I saw it and I saw you on horseback. Well, I will not be riding a horse, but I'll watch. (laughs)
1: I mean, listening to all that talk about horseback and cattle drafts, so I just think that we need to have an RNC event where everyone goes on horseback, like we're on Yellowstone. Let's just have a, a full-on horseback retreat. Are you in? I am not in. Okay. But Paris, okay. you
0: can be there. I don't okay. know if I, you know, I'm not Christy Nome but I'll, I'm happy to watch. <laughs> okay. And I support you in that effort.
1: Thank you. We'll, we'll see what <laughs> we can do. Um this this whole year, I mean, just been so many fantastic stories. We can't fit it all in. But is there just one more that you just say, we cannot close out this year without going back and just highlighting just one more thing? Is there just one more?
0: Well, it's hard to pick yeah. because they were really all wonderful. I- I'm going to have to go back to Tim Scott, though. You know, we did this podcast right after he had addressed the State of the Union and Joe Biden, and he brought such an optimistic yeah. message um, to his rebuttal but he also, in this clip, really goes at the Democrats and especially how they use race to divide our country. And he challenges them on a lot of their policies and talks about things that Republicans and specifically Donald Trump did for the black community. And I think it is a little bit of a wake up call yeah. because Democrats are really good at using rhetoric. But Republicans are delivering with our actions and our policies, and Tom's Tim Scott says that better than anyone.
1: Well, I think this is a perfect way to show and, and end this with this highlight from Tim Scott. This the TikTok of all the things that Republicans have led on with President Trump helped do. That that's the best way to end. I know this, this
0: is important to you too, Barry. It really is important, and yeah. I think it's
1: great that the podcast is able to have this archive so people can just see it mm-hmm. and relive it and listen to it and share it. So yeah, that's
0: what we do. You got everybody go re-download over and over again.
1: <laughs> I mean, listen, it was one of the top podcasts in, in the political section. So, like, it is something that people are listening to, and I think people want to have this information because a lot of people, especially in the black community, they don't know. They don't know. They don't have the information. CNN is not going to play it. MSNBC is not going to show it. So it's on us. It's on this podcast. It's what you're doing to show it. So let's listen to what Senator Tim Scott
5: said. Great. Thanks. All these things were solutions. And the Democrats said, you know, there's an election coming. We don't want President Trump have getting any credit for police reform. They were actually pretty ticked off, frankly. I know that's not politically correct to say, probably. But they were pretty ticked off with, with the First Step Act.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because it came from a Republican.
5: Absolutely. And, and so for someone who continues to demonize Republicans for being racist and, and insensitive to, to minority issues, I always ask the question, who was the president that made HBCU funding permanent? Donald Trump. Who was the president that took the level of funding for HBCUs to the highest level in the history of the country? Trump. Who was the president that brought minority African-American unemployment rate to the f- for the first time ever recorded in history under 6%? Trump. Who brought Hispanic unemployment under exactly. 5%? Asian unemployment un- under 3%. Women. Women, 70 years yeah. old. So for the— Party that seems to have the burden of of, of racial overtones always placed on it. We're the party that actually produces measurable progress in reasonable time. This has been so much fun.
1: It has, actually. Um, And the time went by so quickly. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you for having me on the podcast. I mean, we couldn't get to everyone. Um, there were some other people that you that you interviewed, like
0: we need people to go listen to all yeah, of them. I yeah, mean, we got to leave some out there. At least
1: Stefanica's is one. Rick Scott, R- I mean, there Nancy May. There's a lot of people yeah. that you talked about, but I think what is the takeaway for me is that this podcast will allow people to see a different side of our party. This party is diverse. It, this party is a blue collar party. This party is a party of single moms of Black Americans, working moms. Everyday Americans—that is the GOP—and so when you say "real America," that is exactly what this podcast has highlighted. And so, I hope that the people that are watching and listening will continue on uh, because I know there's going to be more to come. Yes, and they just have to go to GOP.com/slash-real-America, download it wherever you can get podcasts because there's so much more than we could just put in these clips because the fullness of these conversations are worthwhile and really highlight your leadership, but also the leadership of all of these people who are just ordinary real Americans.
0: It's so true. Thank Paris, I love having you on, on here, you. by the way. And we're so lucky to have you at the RNC as our spokesperson. Thank you're you. You're a delight on screen, off screen. You're just such an asset and a, a dear friend. Thank you for doing this with me. It was fun to go through it all. Yes. I will say this. Uh, this podcast isn't about me. It is about the American people Mm -hmm. and it's about showcasing what our party stands for and the leaders we have right now that want to do good things for this country, but more importantly for the people who live in this country who are suffering right now. And as we're heading into the holidays, I'm really thinking about those families who are thinking about, am I going to be able to pay for my gifts? How much is gas going to cost? Uh, Those 13 family members who lost loved ones in Afghanistan, yeah. those family members who are still wondering about their loved ones who are still in Afghanistan. Right. There are so many fa- challenges facing our country right now. And I know that our party is the right party to lead us to a brighter future. And that's why I do this. I know this is that, that's why you do this. So thanks for joining me. Have the best Christmas. Do you have any? Christmas traditions, any Denard family traditions
1: yeah, that well, are special to you? I'm excited. My mom, uh, she texted me. She said, are you coming to cr- home for Christmas or I'm coming out to D.C.? I was like, no, mom, I'm coming home. Uh, and my mother and I like to go to breakfast together. So oh. we'll do that on Christmas morning. I and mean, where's home? Phoenix, Arizona. Oh, I love it. So, you know, my mom was a single mom. So it just it was always just the two of us. And so actually listening to these stories from these different leaders, things I didn't know about. But it just connects us all. It just says, it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what your color of your skin is, man or woman. The Republican Party is open to you. And you talked about how hard it is right now. It's hard for a lot of people. Everyday, ordinary people. But I'm so glad that our party is a party that's going to lead. And right now, this holiday season, Christmas time is coming. I'm just grateful. I'm grateful yeah, to be in this country. And I'm grateful too. to be in a party that is representative of all Americans.
0: Well, Merry Christmas to you. Merry Thank Christmas you. to your mom. You're smart going back to mama's. <laughs> yes. I'm bringing my daughter back to my house who's in I call her right mini chair. You call her mini chair? I love it. Yeah, my daughter, she loves that you yes. call her mini chair. Abigail's coming home. We're wishing everyone a very Merry Christmas, yes. a Happy Hanukkah, and a happy and safe New Year.
1: Looking forward to the next season of Real America with Ron McDaniel.
0: Thank you, Paris.
1: Thank you. I'm
0: Rhonda McDaniel, and this is what Republicans stand for. Join us next time on Real America.
1: Paid for by the Republican National Committee. Not authorized by any candidate or candidates committee. www.gop.com.